Mom, I'm doing Frog Pod. Welcome to another episode of the Frog Pod Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Flanagan, alongside my co-host, Mr. Alan Taylor. Mr. Taylor, the last time we spoke to our audience, it was a very different vibe around not only the podcast, but TCU in general, this being a TCU podcast. And we only follow TCU this closely, but as far as I'm concerned, in my time of watching and observing collegiate athletics, I've never seen a vibe change like we've had here at TCU. We're two weeks removed from talking about a national championship and potentially capping off one of the best American sports stories in history. And now, for lack of a better term, it seems that on the outside, from the outside looking in, that this program as a fan base is in shambles. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely fair to say nobody would have predicted that this is where we would be two weeks ago. But, you know, it is what it is. Georgia went into the national championship as really a juggernaut team, boat raced us, dominated from the beginning to the end of the game. It is what it is in that respect. But then the surprises started coming. Garrett Riley ended up taking a job at Clemson where we didn't even have a chance to match his contract. Then after that, we thought we were going to be able to get a transfer quarterback and Walker Howard, who was a high school teammate with Jack Beck, who we also got to transfer to TCU. And that ended up not happening as he ended up committing to Ole Miss. And then the final nail in the coffin, the story everybody's been talking about this week, Kendall Bryles, the son of art, is now our new offensive coordinator. Alan, it's such an interesting turn of events. And, you know, for me, if when people ask, why did Riley leave Clemson officially is going to it's the kid club Nick era over there. And this is no disrespect to Chandler Morris, Josh Hoover, any quarterback that suits up for TCU next year. Kid club Nick is a generational talent, in my opinion. I think he's a very talented kid. And for Garrett Riley to see one, in my opinion, an easier conference in the ACC than the Big 12. You got Clemson, who who can recruit at a, at a very high level, probably higher than T, definitely higher than TCU, and you get really to go to a situation where you're kind of the guy off the bat because we've already seen when he was introduced at their basketball game. It's not very often that major schools present their coordinators at basketball games. So I understand in a way Garrett Riley's wanting to leave. A Kate Club is not at Clemson; he's still at TCU, in my opinion. But you know, this this whole these past two weeks have just been kind of an unwinding in a way for a fan base that was so tight. It's gone looser. Riley being one of them basketball kind of hitting a bump in the road. They're trying to avoid losing for the last five at Kansas. And then this Kendall Bryles hire, we'll get into the Bryles hire in just a second, Alan, but remove all that aside. If you're a TCU fan up until the Bryles hire, can you just walk through the emotions that kind of transpired when you go from the national championship to basketball and just the transfer portal in general? Yeah. So I guess to start off the national title game, it's not necessarily disappointment in the players or the effort necessarily. It's just 
a disappointment in the outcome. And I don't think on that day with the way Georgia played, we really had a chance of beating that Georgia team. But it's really just how conservative we were, especially from a offensive standpoint in that game. I know in previous conversations we've had, we've talked about the lack of trickery in that game. And, you know, the punts, the constant punting that we had around midfield that really just allowed for Georgia to get a really big lead early and never even allowed for us to even try to stop their momentum. And, you know, it's just disappointing to lose a game by that much, no matter who you're playing or where it is, but especially on that big of a stage. And for me, we both were there. It was, it was like TCU got punched in the mouth very early. That's just a matter of the fact. And they kept getting punched over and over again. And Clearly, Georgia was on a different level from a physicality standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, it seemed like mentally that the fight on the sidelines trickled down onto the players. That's how college, uh, that's how major sports work. But the fact of the matter, like you mentioned, we didn't see TCU really go for it on fourth down. We didn't see any trick plays. We saw screens that were coming at very obvious times. I mean, I think the first true screen we got was late in the second quarter maybe early third and Georgia was expecting it when you're down by that many points that's you know they're just sitting on it they don't have to rush the passer because their secondary was locking TCU up so the thing here Alan is TCU was talked about oh we just we earned the right to be there after beating Michigan but then the people quickly turned and said TCU didn't belong there TCU earned there I think they belong that field I think that that Georgia team the, the outcome didn't matter. I think they could have done the exact same thing to Michigan, maybe by less points due to Michigan style, but there was no team in the country that was beating that Georgia team that night. The thing is, though, in my, my question to you, how do you not let how do you not let that result minimize all that you did up to that point? Because TCU had more momentum than anybody in the country and a loss wouldn't have stopped the momentum, but it seems like people are trying to say that the way that TCU lost brought back a lot of momentum. Yeah. I would say the main thing you need to do is you just got to let time pass and then allow for the season not to be viewed in a microcosm as that one game. And I think that really starts tonight. We're recording this on Thursday, January 19th. And you know, the final Carter boys is coming out tonight it's going to really show a lot of the high moments of our postseason run with the highest being winning the Fiesta Bowl and how big of a game that was for our program. I know that we've mentioned a lot on the national championship preview episode about that Michigan win, but it truly was the biggest moment for any big 12 team since Texas played in the national title in 2009. So we really need to start recognizing how much this team accomplished just to get to that stage. Agreed. And that's where we'll, we'll leave it at that. There needs to be no more discussed. We, we got something bigger to talk about. This hire, Alan, Kendall Bryles. If you don't know by now, um, I don't think you really follow TCU sports close enough, but if you don't know by now, TCU hired Kendall Bryles, the son of Art Bryles, who was the head coach at Baylor when their scandal happened. Their was an investigation that was done. There was officially no sanctions given by the NCAA. There were no criminal charges brought up against the coaching staff, but it was a major black eye for both the Bryles family and the Baylor University in general. And let me tell you, Alan, I grew up a TCU fan since the Rose Bowl, and there is probably no bigger personal hatred I have towards one opposing rival figure than I do 
Art Bryles. I'd rather sit across the table from Aaron Rodgers as a Bears fan than Art Bryles as a TCU fan. And the fact that his son is now our offensive coordinator by this point, it has not officially been announced by TCU, but has been confirmed by a lot of sources and has been sent out across every major outlet that he is going to be our offensive coordinator next year. And personally, it's it's a tricky one because this is a fan base. This is a school that's comprised of a lot of more women than men. And this is a fan base that is full of people who despise that era of Baylor and rightfully so. So where do you stand, Alan, person, before I get in my opinion on this hire? I would say for the first part, I think it's very important to clarify that with how the Baylor scandal ended, Art Bryles and Ken Starr were both terminated by the university. Correct. Kendall Bryles was not. Kendall Bryles was not fired by Baylor. His contract was not terminated. He actually stayed on on the staff with Jim Grobe and I believe 2016 in basically the year in between Bryles and Matt Rule's tenure there. And I think it's really important to note that, that he was basically a young kid at that point in time in his early 30s working for his dad. He wasn't setting the culture at Baylor during that period of time. And with that, think about the guy he's going to go work for in Sonny Dykes. Sonny's the son of a legendary coach in Texas and Spike Dykes, who was frankly not always the easiest figure to be likable coaching for Texas Tech. And I think it's a really good fit in that respect. And that's something that we need to focus on. This is a son of a Texas coach hiring another son of a Texas coach that, you know, both are really talented minds that hopefully can come together and create a great product. So this comes to me as if you're Jeremiah Donati and you're Sonny Dykes and you're Chancellor Boschini, you understand what that last name means throughout this fan base. So that means to me that they knew what was going to happen. And they said, this is worth it and they uh, there's yet to be an announcement made by the school by the university about the hire so we do not know really truthfully what the thought process was if they'll give it to us but to me it basically was we know what's going to happen for a sector of the fan base is this hire worth it personally all the baggage aside from what I saw at Arkansas, I don't know if Kendall Bryles would, would have been my number one choice. And according to reports, we're going to pay him a lot of money. We do not know uh, that number yet, but I can promise you it's probably higher than the 1.2 that Garrett Riley was making. So, and from what I saw at Arkansas, I wasn't greatly impressed. I've read from a bunch of Arkansas fans that, you know, Kendall Bryles is great for getting you yards and a Kendall Bryles touchdown is crossing the 10 yard line because once you're inside the 10, you're not getting in the end zone. I can say that there's two things I'll say to that fact. One, Arkansas's offense is going to be, was built around a way different type of scheme than TCU's will be. You know, KJ Jefferson and Chandler Moritz couldn't be more opposite of quarterbacks. The, the style that Sam Pittman wanted is very different than what Sonny Dykes wants. Kendall Bryles wanted out of Arkansas. There's a lot of things to say, but this still doesn't change the fact that if it's me, I'm not taking Kendall Bryles as my number one offense quarter. After TCU said, we had in report that TCU believed that they could get whoever they wanted. And taking someone from an SEC West School offense coordinator and moving them to you is a pretty impressive feat. But at the same time, 
I just don't know if what I saw at Arkansas was enough to make me think that's the guy I want to see in Garrett Riley. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. When you talk about, was he the number one option? I truly can't believe that he was the number one option with some of the other names that were available. But at the same time, there's one name that we need to talk about, and that's Seth Luttrell for sure. Who's the guy that even though he wasn't hired as an offensive coordinator, he's still available. He still has deep connections with Sonny Dykes. And I think it's really possible that he could be an offensive analyst on our staff coming up this year and possibly having more of an oversight role over Kendall and how they're going to be operating with really retaining the rest of the offensive staff and merging them together. And I just think it's going to be very interesting to see how these next couple weeks play out with how TCU chooses to announce the hire, if they really make an announcement at all. And past that point, how the recruiting begins going into the class of 2024. It's very huge. I mean, TCU, like you said earlier, we were not supposed to get, but we thought we had a very good chance at landing Walker Howard, who ended up going to Ole Miss. We haven't brought in the transfer portal quarterback that many thought we would. And it just seems to me that this whole offensive coordinator thing has kind of lingered on longer than we'd like to. And now that you add this whole component, it's going to make it pull on way longer and make put an even bigger microscope on the whole entire decision. But with that being said, Jeremiah Donati and Sonny Dykes are friends of the podcast. They have both graced us with their time on this podcast and we've interviewed them. And you can tell from the type of people that they are. First of all, they would go on to at then time a student radio show slash podcast and give deep thoughts. And you can kind of tell just by listening to them and seeing their actions, that these men are both very smart, meticulous, but I believe that they are good people that would not jeopardize anyone if anyone would be jeopardized. Kendall Bryles, this is not his first job since the Baylor thing happened. He's actually been hired by multiple schools. Now, is that me saying excuse that it's okay? No, but it is to be announced that Florida Atlantic had to go through the process. They're the first school to hire him after the whole entire situation went down. So they had to vet him. Florida State and Houston and Arkansas all had to go through something like this. The reason why it's so much bigger here is because that we consider Baylor our main rivals and we were the closest school to that scandal outside of Waco, obviously. So as time goes on, we will learn more and more. I do not think that Kendall Brow is going to promote a culture that will be harmful to anybody at TCU. I truly believe that we as Christians, Texas Christian University, are called upon to forgive people. And at the same time, I truthfully believe that if you think that this is a issue for the higher ups, you got to assess everything because the offensive coordinator of your football program is on the tiers list of people that impact your life is a lot lower than people are acting like right now. There are people that have held way higher positions that affect people's lives more that have been accused of and investigated for way worse things in life. So I'm just asking for consistency from people. You can have your opinion on the higher. If you don't like it, you have your reasons to. And if the other side is the same way, but I'm just asking for consistency across the board that this is the offensive coordinator for a college football team. If you're going to hold him to these standards, you need to hold people with higher authoritative and more important position in your life to those standards as well. That is the last thing I will say on that specific portion of the topic. Yeah, and I agree with that entirely, basically. And one last point that I'll mention is this entire idea of there being 
two sides to this for TCU fans, one being right, one being wrong, just isn't the case. As you said, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. He's going to be the offensive coordinator next year, and we're all going to be fans of TCU, not because of who the coach is, but because it's our school, it's our community, and that's the team we're rooting for on Saturdays. So it's a lot bigger than just one offensive coordinator hire. Exactly. And this this isn't the dean. This isn't the athletic director position. All, like, there's there's bigger fish to fry in terms of what Kendall Browse is actually doing for this school. And when, when it's all said and done, Gary Patterson has a statue outside, not Chad Glasgow, not anyone in the past that was his coordinators. Sonny Dykes knows what he's doing. We got to trust in Sonny Dykes because I trust me. If we we knew that this outcome was going to happen in terms of outcry, they know they have a plan. At the time, we don't know what that plan is. And hopefully by the next time we talk to you, we do. And we can discuss further from there. But leading that transition into another TCU sport, TCU basketball, Alan. They, they, frogs are looking – they're still fine. They're not in pressing panic mode. But there's been a little bump in the road. Yesterday uh, in Morgantown, TCU – uh, extended their losing streak to 11 games in Morgantown. They have never won in Morgantown. And now they have to go into Fog Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday on CBS versus a Kansas team that just lost a instant classic game in Manhattan, Kansas. So, Alan, if TCU loses on Saturday, they've lost four of their last five. I still think they're going to be a top 25 team. Rankings really don't matter at this point in the season regardless. But and you're still you're in nowhere near jeopardy of missing March Madness. What have you seen from TCU the last five games that has kind of caused this, you know, I won't say a downward spiral, but this step down in play. Yeah, no, I, it's very fair to say this team isn't playing as well as we hoped. And the main reason for that is they haven't been very good on the wings. With that being said, Emmanuel Miller's playing like an all-conference player on the wings, but O'Bannon has not been great by any stretch of the imagination. Micah Peavy has been missing games with that with a back injury. And really, other than that, we don't have enough wings with P.J. Haggerty not really seeing the court at all. Tyler Lumblade isn't trusted to get minutes in Big 12 play. And we aren't as deep at that spot that we thought we would be, and that's been our main issue. Past that point, in our losses, we're really bad defensively in the interior. Iowa State game, they bullied us in the middle of the floor, dominated us in points in the paint. West Virginia, same thing. And the problem is when teams are doing that to you, it's a lot harder to get into transition on the offensive side of the ball. And we were unable to do that in both those games, which is really a key to us getting a rhythm and offensively as we play so much just straight up motion offense. So those would be my couple things that I watch out for with the TC needs to find a way to turn around to really turn the season around and have a chance to win the big 12 title. Exactly. That's a, that's a big thing, Alan. You and I talked about this before. I don't know if we said it officially on air, but for this team to be successful, in our opinions, you either you need to either bring home a Big 12 trophy, whether that be in the regular season or the tournament, or you need to make it to the second weekend because TCU has never done either of those things. And this team was preseason Big 12 player of the year, Mike Miles. That's never happened before in TCU history. We've never had the hype that we did, never been ranked as high as we have going into a season. With these kind of expectations, you have to deliver at some sort of level. I'm not asking this team to make a Final Four run, even though I still think they can. And right now, I would say I think they will make a Final Four run because truthfully, with this team firing all cylinders, they're the best team. They can be the best team in college basketball. 
But the thing is that you got to be able to find your rhythm. You got to be able to kind of turn the gear like they did last year towards the end of the season. I think they're going to do that. But at the same time, it's almost like this stretch they're going on is lasting longer than it needs to. They're not going to play perfect basketball all year. We knew they're going to be losing streaks, but the way they're losing games and it's the way that they're coming out, what appears to be flat in certain games is just something that for a team that returns basically everybody from last year, you can't afford to be having. Yep. No, it's clear issues, especially with free throws, just constantly missing free throws at times, allowing for other teams to get on big runs and not being able to respond well quickly enough. And You know, it's just constant issues that you hope that you can figure out. Here's the main thing. You don't want to be playing your best basketball at the end of January. You want to be playing your best basketball in the middle of March going into April. And hopefully, you know, this is all building towards a run during that part of the season. And these are just some growing pains that we'll talk about led to the great finish that we're going to see happen in March and April. I mean, the, the thing is, the schedule, we knew the schedule was hard. When we first got the Big 12 schedule, we said, oh, we have to go to Morgantown, to Lawrence, back-to-back. We have to play you know, Texas, Iowa State. We knew this would be the tough part of the schedule. But now it's like, regardless of what happens in Lawrence, I personally think this team is about to go on a very impressive run. Because after Lawrence, Allen. TCU is a home game versus Oklahoma. That's the first game where I think the student section will actually have an impact on the games, given that the football season plus the non-conference slate, what it was. Then you go to Mississippi State, a game that's a lot more winnable than it looked a month ago. You get West Virginia at home, revenge game. Then you go to Stillwater. You go at least three and one in there. You're fine. And then the rest of the schedule just shakes out and I won't go all the way through the rest of the schedule, but it allows you to put yourself in position to win some big games and put you in a very comfortable spot uh, to to win a big 12 title. Because when you look at the rest of the schedule, home games include OU, West Virginia, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas and Kansas and Texas. All of those, given what we saw this student section, in the crowd last year, make those games winnable. 100%. And most Big 12 champions, regular season champions at the end of the year have three to five uh, regular season Big 12 losses. And we have three right now. If we can find a way to have a really strong close, possibly run the table, maybe lose one game, we'll be right in the thick of things playing for the title going into the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, outside of – let me tell you one thing, Alan. If this team goes in the fog out on Saturday and wins, that's a – which is they're very capable of. We don't have a line for that game yet. But – while I don't think that they're going to win, it is a very real possibility that they can win. Because Kansas, TCU, how they played Kansas last year, people are saying this Kansas team might be better than last year's Kansas team. I don't think that's true. But I think this team knows that they can go into Fog Allen and win because they almost did it last year. They should have done it last year. It was one of the many times uh, the officiating didn't allow Mike Miles to shoot a free throw. Oh, Alan, this is some news for you. A little breaking news in the frog pot. It's not TCU related, but Alan, you being at Notre Dame, this has pertains to you. Breaking news, Notre Dame's men's basketball coach, Mike Bray, is stepping down after this season. Bray is the winningest coach in Notre Dame basketball history. Uh, Really quick, while we're on the topic of college basketball, Alan, what have you seen from Notre Dame basketball in your time there shortly? I mean, Notre Dame basketball, a lot of really good guys. A lot of them are in programs either adjacent to mine or that I see on a day-to-day basis. Shout out Cormac Ryan. He was in my entrepreneurship class. Great guy, starting guard. 
But, you know, they struggle in ACC play. They don't necessarily have the athleticism to be able to run up and down the court in, you know, fast break opportunities. They need to play in the half court. But one thing about Notre Dame and going forward, they got this guard, J.J. Starling. He's a great player, and hopefully he stays around for whoever they hire as head coach. Thank you for that tidbit, Alan. All right, this is we planned on this being a shorter episode. Alan, do you have anything else like to talk about before we wrap everything up? Uh, nothing else for me. My prediction for the KU game on Saturday is 71-67 Frogs. We shut down Jalen Wilson. All right. We, we were getting the predictions. Thanks for jumping the gun on that one. But, uh, you know, breaking down the game versus Kansas, it's a very winnable game. Jalen Wilson just had a great performance in the Octagon of Doom. You know, this is a game where everyone's saying, Kansas, Kansas, Kansas. I, I I wish I would have done more research. Look back the last time Kansas lost two straight games. I want to say that last year we were their second straight loss. When we beat them, Alan. Can you give me that off the top of your head? And unless they played two consecutive road games, that's not the case. Because I know their last road loss was against Texas in January of 2021. Their last road home loss. Like their last home loss. Yeah, their last home loss was January 2021. So this would be truly an unprecedented win for the Frogs if they were able to give Kansas their second straight loss and then their first home loss. Is that what we're going for right now? Is that what we're saying? There's, it will be their first time losing back-to-back games and their first home loss since 2021, correct? I'm not sure on the back-to-back losses thing, but I know for the loss at Fog Allen, yes. All right. Actually, excuse me, Alan. I just I just found out some research. Uh, Kansas last year, when before they came to TCU, they had lost a game at Baylor by ten. So this would be the first time since last year when we beat them for a second straight time. But this game is obviously in Kansas, so that's that. All right. Um, sorry for that sloppy ending, but you know this game versus Kansas is going to be a a great one. Uh, stay tuned. My official prediction, Alan, I think we're going to win this game 78 to 77. Mike Miles hits a late three uh, to put the Frogs up by one, and Mike Miles enters into the national conversation as this game is on CBS. So it's going to be a good national audience for that. So thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to this episode of the Frog Pod. Remember to like and subscribe to the Frog Pod wherever you get your uh, podcast, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcast, Pandora, wherever, we're wherever you can find us. Uh, please remember to follow us on social media. If we have a Frog Pod Podcast Instagram page, Al and I both are very active on Twitter. And also always remember to make every day your best day and go frogs. <laughs>